Alright, well today, I want to talk to you about um, the armor of God, um, and then I'm going to share an Old Testament story that talks about um, how we need to trust God um, in the in life. So, um, hopefully... This will be a blessing to you. Um, the armor of God is found in Ephesians chapter 6. Let me see here. Got to find it. It's taking me just a little bit, but at least not as much as it would if I was flipping through my regular Bible. Let's see here. Uh, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6, um, verse 10, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take ye up the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench the fiery darts of the wicked. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereto with perseverance and supplication for all saints. So, uh, we see in this passage, Paul is drawing a parallel. And a parallel is like a comparison. He's painting for us a picture of how to live the Christian life. One of the greatest things about being a Christian is knowing that you don't have to walk through life alone. Oftentimes, we are faced with hard things in life. I know for me, one of those hard things was that I was born three months prematurely. And so, that basically means that um, I was supposed to be born in August of 1979, but I was born in May. Um, my parents were on their last vacation before kids, and I guess I decided I wanted to join the party, and so my my parents at at uh, 19 and or at 18 and and uh, 20 um, were faced with this um, difficulty of figuring our 19 and 20 of figuring out how to navigate having a special needs child. Uh, my parents uh, have very different um, reactions to this. My mom said she knew as soon as she heard me cry after I was born that I would be okay. My dad recalls walking around the campus of the hospital begging God to spare my life. I'm sure he had a much different picture of what it would be like to have a son than what reality actually gave him, but 
God's ways are not our ways, um, and His thoughts are not our thoughts. And my parents always raised me with the idea that God had a plan for my life. And when I was five years old, I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And I'd like to be able to tell you that that was the beginning of um, sunshine and rainbows, and everything went right for me from then on. I never had a doubt. But it was actually the beginning of a very long journey for me, one in which I had to learn how to use the armor of God. Um, if you remember, there's a story about David when um, he was going to go fight Goliath. Saul, at first Saul said, there's no way you're a boy. But then later Saul said, well, at least take my armor. And David put it on and he couldn't move. That I haven't proven this armor. I haven't spent time in this armor, so I can't take it with me. I'll just take my sling and my stones, and I'll take care of the giant, because just as God was with me when he delivered me from the mouth of a lion and from, from the mouth of a bear, he'll deliver me from this giant. Because David knew that even though Goliath came at him with physical weapons, that he came at him in the name of the Lord and God of hosts, which is the most powerful name through which we can do anything. And really what happened for me is that for the next nine years after I trusted Christ, I had to learn to prove that armor. And I often failed. I argued with God a lot about um, the way that he made me I said, God, if you had given me a healthy body, then I could serve you. And I hit rock bottom when I was 13 years old, and my baby brother, um, who was three months at the time, went to bed for a nap, and he never woke up. <laughs> my dad said it was like, it was like an angel came and said, let's go for a walk. And that walk was to heaven. It was the worst day of my entire life. I still remember it in vivid detail. As if it was yesterday. And as you can tell, I still have a hard time talking about it. And at that point, I seized in my desire to live. I said, God, I don't want to live. I contemplated running in front of a car and ending my life. But I thank God that he restrained me from doing that. I thank God that he made me a captive audience. I thank God that he persuaded my parents to shove me in the car every Sunday for church and force me to go when I didn't want to go. And I thank God that he held me tight over the next year until I was willing to surrender to him. And at the end of that year, I surrendered and I said, God, however you want me to share Jesus Christ, I'm going to share him with as many people as I can because you changed my life. I'm not here talking about a belief system. I'm not here talking about words in a book, even though the words of the Bible are precious to me. I'm here talking about a relationship 
to the living God who sent his son to die on the cross for us and who rose again the third day to give us resurrection power in our lives. And if you look at this armor of God, we see um, different aspects of it. Um, we see that Paul says, put on the whole armor of God. So we're not to leave any of these pieces behind. And why do we put on the whole armor of God? That we can stand against the wiles of the devil. You know, the devil um, is a liar. Um, there's a there's a singer on Christian radio right now named Zach Williams. And, and he has this song called Fear, He is a Liar. And I just really resonate with that song because I wrestle with fear a lot. Um, we were we were doing a, a drill at the school yesterday, at the high school yesterday, and I I was wrestling with the fear of what if this drill were to become reality? What would I really do? But I have to believe that God is in control. And then Paul says, "For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities." against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. You know, the devil was whispering to me in the darkness of that time in my life that I was useless, that I was completely and utterly useless, that there was no reason for me to be here. And maybe that's the struggle that you're having right now. And I'm not just talking to the kids. Maybe some of you adults are having that struggle. I know we all have had times in our lives when we feel that way. Wherefore, he says, because of this, basically is what he's saying, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand therefore, having your loins, um, um, Gird about with truth, meaning the belt of truth, and having the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, because we need to take the gospel to others. And you know, the biggest way you can take, take the gospel to others is not necessarily to get up and preach sermons like I do, but if you know Jesus and He's changed your life, sharing your story can be, be the difference between life and death to someone. Sharing your story can make a world of difference in someone's life. There was a story about a guy who was a a deacon in his local church. And for some reason the pastor got snowed in, but the deacon was closer to the church. So he went and he and only a few other people were there. So the deacon got up and read a few passages of scripture, made a few comments and sat down. Little did he know that in the back of that church there was a shoe salesman by the name of Dwight L. Moody. And that day was the start of a journey that led Dwight L. Moody to Jesus Christ. And Dwight L. Moody is known as one of the greatest preachers in church history today. Because that deacon was willing to get up and do what little he could do in sharing the gospel. It's not about being eloquent. It's not about saying the right things. It's about allowing the Spirit of God to work in your life. 
And I would encourage each of you to do that. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. You know, in order to embrace any of this armor, you need to have first the helmet of salvation. God says that if you believe in your heart that God has raised raised Jesus from the dead, then you will be saved. And then you're to confess it with your mouth, to share with others the truth of what you have learned. And then this this part in verse 18, we often, I think, kind of neglect when we're talking about the armor. We don't really think about it as part of the armor, but I believe it is. Praying always with prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereto with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Now, I heard that you guys talked about persistence not too long ago. We need to persist in the Christian life. The devil still wants to get me down. The devil still wants me to believe that I'm not good enough. I still wake up some days and wish that things were different. I didn't all of a sudden be able to get up out of my wheelchair and run and and jump and dance because I trusted Christ. I still woke up in the same physical circumstance, but the difference was, and the difference after I surrendered to Christ fully at the age of 14 was that I now knew that God had a plan. I knew that He was walking with me every step of the way, and I knew that He was in control. Philippians chapter 2 says, For it is God who worketh in you, both the willing to do of His good pleasure. It's not about my good pleasure. It's about His. We see a lot of things on the internet in different places that says, Only do what feels right for you. Do what makes you happy. And I understand the well intentions of that statement, but that is not the Christian life. The Christian life is to do what God wants. God cares more about your holiness than your happiness. Yes, holiness can result in happiness, but it's a result. It should not be a be a be a uh, a goal. Happiness should not be the goal. It will be the result of reaching for the goal of trusting Jesus Christ with your life. And we are also told to esteem others better than themselves, better than ourselves. We're told to put others' needs ahead of our own. Where the world says, look out for number one, the Bible says, I must decrease and he must increase. John the Baptist had disciples and he was pretty popular and he was baptizing a lot of people. And then all of a sudden this this guy, his cousin Jesus, comes on the scene and everybody starts following him. And you'd think that John would be upset. But he's not, because he knows that his role is to prepare the way for Jesus. And so when John had a couple of his disciples leave and follow Jesus, John didn't stop them. He didn't try to stop them and say, wait a second, you were following me. No. He let them go. He told them who Jesus was. And and uh, they decided when they found out, when John said, behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world, they decided... We're going to follow him. 
And that was James and John, who became part of Jesus' inner circle. And anybody else relying on only human feelings and emotions would have been very offended by that. But John stayed the course. He did get discouraged, though, when he was in prison. He said, is this the Jesus that we're supposed to be seeking? Or is there someone else? Even this guy who had said this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, he still had this moment of discouragement in the prison cell. And he said, is this the one that we're supposed to be seeking? Or is there someone else? And he sent his disciples that were left to go see Jesus. And Jesus said this. He said, go tell John that the lame walk and the blind see and the lepers are cleansed. And John knew at that point that Jesus indeed was the Messiah. And John was able to stay in prison until the king ended his life. I just want to share another brief passage as I end. And this one is in Joshua, so it's in the Old Testament. Joshua chapter 5. Um, and Joshua, for those who may not know or need a refresher, Joshua was the guy that um, God chose to replace Moses as the leader of the children of Israel when they were going into the promised land. Remember, Moses was not allowed to go into the promised land because there was a time when he hit the rock and he was supposed to speak to it. He also took credit for miracles because he said, shall we give you water out of the rock? Who gave water out of the rock? It was God. It wasn't Moses. And so God said, you're going to look at the land, Moses, but you're not going to go in. So he gave Joshua the responsibility to bring the people in. And as Joshua is getting ready to go to war for the land, he has an encounter. I'm going to start um, in verse 13. And it came to pass, when Joshua was by Jericho, that he lifted up his eyes. And behold, there stood a man over against him with his sword drawn in his hand, and Joshua went to him and said unto him, Art thou for us? Or for our adversaries? And he said, Nay, but as the captain of the host of the Lord am I now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth, and did worship, and said unto him, What saith my Lord to his servant? And the captain of the Lord's host said unto Joshua, Loose thy shoe from thy foot, for the place where I am standest is holy. And Joshua did so. He came, I believe, that was Jesus before the New Testament. We know that Jesus was God, and so he was eternal. In Proverbs it says, talking about the creation of the world, it says, what is his name, meaning God's name, and what is his son's name, if you know it? So even the writers of the Proverbs knew that God had a son by divine intervention. We know that Jesus was born of a virgin. Why? Because he couldn't have a human father. A human father would have given him sin. So Jesus existed before time. He was at the creation of the world. So I believe this is an instance where he came into the world in the Old Testament in human form and said, I'm not for you or for your adversaries. I'm the captain of the army of the Lord of hosts. And the reason that I, that I believe strongly and, and, and I think I know that this was Jesus 
was because Joshua fell fall down and fell down on his face and worshipped. And there are times when people have fallen down on their face to worship angels in the Bible, and the angel will say, "Get up! I'm not worthy of your worship." But this is not what happened here. As a matter of fact, Joshua does what Moses did at the burning bush. He takes off his shoes because the place where he was standing was holy ground. So I say all this to say that you have a captain that goes before you. A captain that is there to fight your battles. He's not on our side or on our adversary's side. He is the leader. He's the one that shows us which side to be on. The great president Abraham Lincoln was once asked, do you believe that God is on your side during the Civil War? He said, the great question is not whether God is on our, whether God is on our side, but whether we are on His. So, I ask you today to think about this question. Are you on God's side? If you're not, you can be. The Bible says that if we believe on Jesus, from that instant we are passed from death to life. We are sentenced to death right now if we are not believers. If we do not know Jesus, we have a death sentence on us. But if we trust Jesus, that death sentence is revoked and we are given life. And life more abundant. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you for the opportunity to share your word today. Lord, I pray that you would uh, be real in these children's lives. I pray that you would um, just do a mighty work here at the Potter's House through discipleship, that you'd send a revival to this school, and then because of the school to this neighborhood, and because of the neighborhood to the city, and because of the city to the state until the whole country is changed for you. You've said, if my people, who are called by my name, shall humble themselves and seek my face, then will I hear from heaven, and I will move my hand, and I will heal their land. And Lord, you said that at a time of great prosperity. You said that at a time when they were following you, but you knew that they wouldn't always be following you, because you're the perfect God and you know everything. Lord, I pray that you would go with each of these young people today. I pray that you would give them respect for their teachers. And I pray that you would give them a wonderful day of seeking you and of being grateful for your creation and grateful to be at a school where we can preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because this is the only hope we have in this world. I pray this in the name of the risen Christ. Amen. Amen.